Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 694th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who has made a connection between jazz music and gardening. We're talking with Lizzie Shapiro about discovering music in container gardening. Elizabeth Lizzie Shapiro is a screenwriter, actress, and musician. As a screenwriter, she has created TV shows alongside Hollywood heavyweights like Ben Stiller and Joey Soloway, as well as creating and starring in The Crossroads of History, which received two Emmy nominations. As a musician, she trained as an opera singer and is currently the front woman of Lizzie and the Triggerman. Dubbed 10-piece jazz sensations by LA Weekly, the band's debut album, Good Songs for Bad Times, hit number three on the iTunes jazz charts, just behind Miles Davis. Congratulations. Their music simultaneously transports you to a prohibition speakeasy while feeling arrestingly modern, thanks to the powerhouse vocals and songwriting of Lizzie. Their eerily prophetic original song, Dance Song for the End of the World, garnered international press for its music video, which featured dancers all over the world at the beginning of the lockdown. The band has been forging exciting new paths for modern big band and swing music, headlining some of the top music venues in the country, opening for the UK rock band Squeeze, and being selected as official artists by South by Southwest. Welcome to the show today, Lizzie. Are you ready to jazz? Yes, I am, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. You bet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, so I am the front woman, as you said, of a 10-piece jazz band called Lizzie and the Triggermen. And going into 2020, we were slated to have our biggest year ever. We were going to be releasing our debut album. We were supposed to be touring on the West Coast and on the East Coast, and we were going to be playing South by Southwest. So we had a really exciting year lined up. And then we all know what happened in 2020. And basically, (laughs) in the course of a couple days, our entire calendar was canceled. Mm. And so, you know, I, I know that there were many people who were 
greatly affected, obviously, by the pandemic in lots of different ways. I had never had an experience where I literally had nothing on my calendar to do work-wise. And, you know, as an artist my entire life, without having an outlet to create, I found myself, I found myself really slipping into feeling massive amounts of depression and despair, which I know a lot of people felt. And I needed something to just tangibly do with my time, but I also needed something that kind of scratched that itch of creation. And also I was stuck at home like everybody. And so staring at my house and noticing all the things that looked terrible to me. And I have this back concrete area that was just empty and, you know, looked pretty depressing. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to start a little garden back here. And also garden centers and nurseries were basically the only things that were open. Um, <laughs> that right? you go to. So it was kind of also just like my social life was going out and just hanging out in these nurseries and buying stuff. How did you get from music to, oh my gosh, I'm going to plant a garden back here? That was a kind of a big step. What was the process that went through your head that had you go there? You know, I, I, I think really honestly, it was garden centers were open and I needed something to do. And I had this <laughs> space that sort of seemed, seemed ugly. And, you know, I'm somebody who's a very aesthetic person. I love decorating. I love fashion. And so it seemed like, okay, well, here's something I can actually you know, I can actually tangibly do that will make my space look nicer. So I didn't really have much more grand ambitions than that. But then once I started to get into it, I quickly realized that this was nothing like decorating. This was keeping lots and lots of living creatures alive mm -hmm. um, and, and outdoors too. And, uh, and I started really late. I started basically at the, you know, the kind of end of June which I now realize is a bit of a late time to start, you know, start trying to grow food in Los Angeles where I live. But yeah, that's, that's really, really where it started, where I just, I just wanted to have something, you know, something to fill my time and also something that I could help kind of slow myself down. You know, I've, I've been used to having, you know, a couple of weeks where the, the calendar isn't busy, but here I was looking at months where I need to somehow fill my time. And what was so great about plants was that they were simultaneously really rewarding on a day-to-day -day basis. Like every day there would be something new that I could see, you know, some new leaf that was coming out or some new flower. But then also they work at a very a slow time scale, which helped kind of slow me down. So instead of, instead of living in this space of, you know, kind of anxiety about how much time I had ahead of me. It just, the whole, the whole kind of energy of plants really helped just slow me down. And yeah, I mean, for, for people I know who are not into plants, it's really hard to explain why plants are so kind of calming and cool to hang out with, but I've just find their whole energy to be really, um, really relaxing and just, they're like the most laid back friend you could ever meet. Right. <laughs> yeah. Did you start this process to grow plants or did you start this process to grow food? 
I started it to just make my back area look pretty. That's it. I really did not have much more grand ambitions than that. And because it was an outdoor space and, you know, I I kind of got into the food plants that way. But no, I didn't, I didn't think that my little back area could really grow anything meaningful food wise. So, you know, I live in a rental. It doesn't have any actual yard area that's usable to garden. It's so I was doing all of this on concrete in an area that gets a lot of obstructed light. So yeah, I I definitely didn't think that I could actually grow much food, but I was excited to try little things. So, you know, I got tomato plants, I got an avocado tree, I got, you know, a nectarine tree. And that, that was kind of where I started was just with random things that caught my eye at the nursery and but yeah, I wasn't really thinking. And, and then also they would say, you know, oh, okay, well, that nectarine tree isn't even going to produce fruit until next year. So everything just seemed kind of like, you know, like, well, th- th- that next year, that sounds like a million years from now. So, so yeah, it was much more of coming from like a, a, a decorative place. I love how you said grow little things. And in the list of little things, you included an avocado tree, which can get to be 60 feet tall. And a nectarine tree, which can get to be 30 feet tall, not in a pot. Yeah, and you, but... you... <laughs> oh, it's all in pots. It's all in pots. That's right. what I have. <laughs> For somebody that hasn't seen the pictures that are on the show notes page, walk out into your back garden area and give us an idea. How wide is it? How long is it? What's it look like? What's the ground made out of? Like that. Just kind of give us a picture of what, what your garden looks like. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, so the back area of my house, which the, the back wall gets Southern light. That's my one wall that gets Southern light. And it's all on this very kind of sun-baked white stucco. So it's really hot back there. So you walk back out and there's a little about mm, maybe six foot wide corridor that's behind the house and it's all mm-hmm. concrete. And it's basically the back of the house and then the uh, side of the garage are the two barriers of it. And then if you turn, you turn to the left, you wrap around the side of the house, there's a little space, which I didn't start out using. It had, it had been filled with bamboo. Our neighbor had planted bamboo like blocks away. (laughs) It just made its way up. Uh, Yeah, crazy. So that had been filled with bamboo. Ultimately, as my sort of plant addiction progressed, I removed the bamboo so I could put more pots. So the side of the house is maybe, mm, maybe about five feet wide and about mm, 20 feet long. And then again, as I sort of like progressed and was looking for more space to stretch out, there's a little walkway on the other side of the house that had jade plants in it, but um, our neighbor didn't like the jade, so they had removed the jade. So then there was another about mm, three foot wide, four foot wide space that's maybe mm, 10 feet, maybe 15 feet long that also then I used. So you have the space. I see the pictures Y'all should go to the show notes page and check out these pictures. You've put together a spectacular garden. And we've got before and after pictures there that you've planted in pots and you've planted in the ground. Tell us about that transformation process. Well, I mean, 
as you've sort of aptly pointed out, my first stab at this was pretty naive. Yeah, I thought that tomato plants were small plants because when I looked at them <laughs> in the nursery, they were small. You right? know? So, and and I'd say like one of the most profound sort of lessons I've learned in this whole thing is nature doesn't care what I want. Nature is going to do what it's going to do. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, I would ask them questions like, well, could I put the, the tomato in this pot? Because I liked how that pot looked and I wanted to put it in it. And they'd be like, that seems a bit small. <laughs> but, you know, I would be like, well, whatever, I'll try it. And of course, you know, nature wins every time. So yeah, I, I definitely did not really have a great sense of how big some of these plants got. I mean, I bought an artichoke plant that was so small. Because the other thing too is, I mean, not to just totally tattle on myself, but I really had no clue what food, you know, how food grew. Right. So you could have asked me beforehand, what is an artichoke plant? And you and I, I would have been like, I don't know, maybe it grows on a tree. I had literally no idea. So I bought this little artichoke plant. And then, you know, fast forward two years, the thing is over nine feet. Yep. So I had no idea it was going to get that big. Well, but this is a really important point you're making. Before I grew 30 years ago, before I grew broccoli, I had no idea what broccoli looked like and how it grew. And I planted a plant and that's how I learned. So now you have a bigger depth of how all this stuff grows. And, you know, before we started recording, you shared with me about how your perception has changed about landscapes. Can you say, say more about that? Well, yeah. So, you know, I ultimately have been able to grow quite a lot from my little container garden in, in, you know, part of it is because I've, like I said, I've just developed this pretty, pretty awesome plant addiction. So I've just tried to squeeze as much as I can back there, but you know, it's really amazing how much I've been able to grow and that has completely transformed my perception of space when I'm out just driving in the world. So, you know, I'll drive past a business park and I'll see all of this landscaping with just decorative plants. And I'll think, man, that space could grow so much food. You yeah. know, there's, if we just yeah. changed places that we put, you know, decorative plants, which I'm assuming would probably use about the same amount of water resources and transfer that to food plants, we could be creating such a massive amount of food for our communities. And so, yeah. And then also I have to say, I've become really like pro weeds. Um, <laughs> nice. I'm always like proselytizing to my friends about how amazing dandelions are now. I'm like, no, they're doing really hard work, guys. It's really impressive what they're doing. But yeah, you know, I think, I think it's just, we're so taught to look at the world in a certain way. And I didn't realize how utterly disconnected I was from how things grow. And, and that's been really exciting and also really humbling. And yeah, definitely has changed how I, how I see the world. Well, and your back garden, I mean, we're not talking about five or 10 pots and five or 10 plants. We're talking about dozens and dozens of pots and hundreds of plants, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, 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 we are. I, I know. I'm, I have a problem. I, I, I admit it. <laughs> it's such a good problem to have. 
I know that's that's kind of how I console myself. I'm like, it could be worse, but you've created yeah, a jungle yeah. in your backyard. Yeah, that's what's really fun. And I'm so oh, I'm so envious of people who have, you know, have actual land where they can build those food forests. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, it's all in containers. And the best that I have is actually just because basically that that one strip of land that I have that's on the the sort of side of the house bamboo had been planted there and mm -hmm. if anybody is familiar with bamboo it is <laughs> next to impossible to get rid of that stuff yep i mean it grew under the house into our bathroom tile it's crazy so the i couldn't really plant anything in that ground so instead i just put pots on the plant uh, you know on that ground but right. because because they had access to the ground, they were, most of those pots, the roots have grown down into the ground. And, um, mm, yes, you know, that's that. why my artichoke was able to get so big. Well, it's great because I've been looking at it as kind of like horticultural warfare with this bamboo because you know, the bamboo literally was like getting into, like growing into things in our house um, is really aggressive. Wow. But all the plants on the side of the house have essentially sort of stopped it from from doing that so what are you eating out of your garden let's go there well I whatever I can is the answer so you know I right now I've got a ton of peppers I'm a big fan of Baker Creek seeds so I, I ordered some ahi peppers that are doing really amazing and um oh, nice I'd say like the most successful things that I've grown have been cucumbers until the cucumbers turn I have like a real like my cucumbers do really good until they don't and I'm still mm -hmm. trying to figure out what exactly is going wrong with them but I grow I grew some dragon eggs cucumber from Baker Creek seeds this year that are so cool Ooh. um oh yeah those are really cool I get a lot of carrots and a lot of citrus I have a kumquat tree that did really well I made some some pretty cool cayenne pepper kumquat marmalade that I'm pretty proud of. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, I have tons of tomatoes right now. I have a bunch of zucchini and I'm trying my hand at corn. I haven't gotten any actual corn yet, but hopefully that will work out. But yeah, mostly I, I, I kind of forage every day in my garden and see what I've got. And then nice. I make these random recipes from it. So um yeah, I've I've my herbs have always done really well, so I've experimented with making things like lemon verbena and chamomile pancakes which are incredible. I highly recommend them. Wow. So you got a recipe for those? Well, basically my recipe is make a regular pancake batter and then gather, you know, a handful of lemon verbena, fresh lemon verbena and chamomile and just sort of, you know, rip them up a little bit to release the flavor, put them in the batter and yeah, cook them like that. That's basically, wow. It's basically what I did. So yeah. that is so <laughs> far out like, of, that is so far out of my reality. I would never have tried that. So thank you for that. Well, I'm very lazy about going to the grocery store. And so that has definitely made me try things in the garden that I wouldn't have normally tried. So yeah, I've definitely made salads out of, you know, beet leaves and Swiss chard and, you know, things that I don't think I necessarily would have gravitated towards. But that's also what's part of what's really fun about the garden is that the seasonality of it makes you really excited when you have something ready to harvest. Whereas when I go to the grocery store, there's just, 
endless options, it makes it almost like nothing special. But in the garden, it's like, whoa, look at the the collard greens look really great right now. I need to think of something to do with them. You know, you just, it, it, it becomes much more about like kind of celebrating what actually is in season. Oh, and my green beans are great. I've never even liked green beans, but the green beans from my garden are so awesome. I'll tell you what, that happens so often. I hear that people don't really like something and then they go grow it and then they're eating it, especially with kids. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that. Although I have to say, I still have a little bit of guilt about eating stuff from my garden. Cause I feel like, especially when I've grown something from seed, mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I'm murdering mm-hmm. it now. <laughs> but, but anyway, I get past it, but yeah, like, especially, especially something when you to harvest it, you really have to kind of like take the whole thing, like pulling beans off of a plant is one thing, but you know, when right. you're like, okay, it's time to harvest the cauliflower or something. It's like, no, it's so pretty. Yes. And the, cauliflower if you just take the head off it'll make more and you can eat the leaves oh okay cool yeah Yeah, I always have to google because you know I I have learned that some things some leaves are not edible (laughs) but yeah so given you're growing in pots what have you learned and how do you go about fertilizing your plants well I would say that is definitely still a learning curve I'm trying Mm -hmm. to figure out. I use all organic materials, so I've I've been kind of assured that I can't really overdo it. With that said, I'm not not sure. Oh, and also, I just tried fish emulsion for the first time, which was like... Well, yeah, it's really good, but that stuff smells terrible. Oh, my God. You can actually use something called kelp emulsion that is also really good and it doesn't smell. Yeah. So we live in a duplex and our neighbor's dogs. So my dog and my neighbor's dog both adore being in the garden and it's wonderful. It's so sweet. Unfortunately, they found the fish emulsion and basically ate half of the, half of the, you know, concentrated can of it and uh, container of it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. the, The garden smelled so bad for days Anyway, okay, I'll definitely look into kelp. But but yeah, yeah. My, I mean, my plants seem to really like the fish emulsion. Yes, they but will. They're and, the only ones. <laughs> right. Well, and the, you know, you're in pots. And what happens with pots, no matter how good the soil is that you start with, if you're not feeding them the plants and the soil in the pots regularly, they're, you're going to run out of nutrition. Yeah, definitely. I also have found, I don't know, I know this, I know that there's a lot of encouragement to do like deep watering, but I personally have found with my containers that I do better if I water them more frequently, more shallowly. So I'm not sure if anybody else has found that, but yeah, that that's definitely the method that I've had the most success with, with the, the containers. Cool, cool. I see that you have a Lizzie's garden sign. Where'd you get that at? Oh, my friend made it for me. And yeah, it's one of my most treasured, treasured pieces. It's been a fun journey for me, but it's also been really fun to kind of share some of the magic of what I've discovered in the garden with my friends, because, Mm -hmm. you know, all of us are pretty much, you know, we've, we've all been raised where food is something you get at a grocery store. (laughs) No, we don't, we don't really have connection with where it comes from. So it's, it's been fun to share photos with people where I'm like, 
look, did you have any clue? That's how an eggplant grows. Isn't that crazy? And, <laughs> right. and then also, you know, one of my signs that I really like you as a person is I'll share some food with you from my garden. So uh, last year I grew one watermelon successfully and I shared it with my friends on the condition that they all spit out the seeds and give them to me. Oh, very good. Gotta love that. Well, you're one so, watermelon, you're one watermelon ahead of me. Watermelons is something I have never been able to successfully grow. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was, yeah, this, it, it was a, it's a challenge. I'm trying again this year. We'll see. We'll see. I'm using the seeds that they all spit out. <laughs> so Good. we'll see if I get any, um, you know, get any watermelons this year, but, but yeah, it's just fun to share with people you know, shared with people stuff from the garden. And I think that yeah. that helps them feel like they're kind of invested in it too. Right. Yeah. It builds community. Yeah. Well, when you have a party, where do people normally congregate? Well, I've got a courtyard area that's also got some, some plants that's kind of, it's an interior courtyard. So it's on, it's, it's in the middle of the house, but it's actually outside. So it's Ooh, really nice. cool kind of vintage architecture. Yeah, so that's mostly where people hang out. Uh, the question was bigger than that, and that's normally they congregate around the food, right? That's where you build community oh, around food. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, people definitely congregate around food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, it's exciting for people to try something fresh out of the garden, you know, carrot that's just been pulled out. And it's, it's definitely something that has brought other people joy. Although I will confess that I'm pretty sure my friends are sick of me talking about my garden. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've never had kids, but when we got a dog, I wanted to show everybody pictures of the dog, right? Right, right. Yeah. So you're just doing the same thing with your, with your plants. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's, um, you know, it's really interesting because it's definitely taught me to value food really differently. You know, I talk about taking photos. I mean, I take photos of my plants and everything, you know, anytime I'm harvesting something, I take photos of it. And, you know, I think that that's taught me a really important lesson about value and how, how we ascribe value to things in our culture, because beforehand, like I said, food was just something that I'd go to a grocery store and buy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there'd just be a pile of tomatoes and I'd pick one and I'd never think about it again. And I sure wouldn't take a photo of it and send it to my friends. (laughs) Like, hey guys, I just got this tomato from the store. Look at it. I'm about to eat it. You know, why would I do that? Right. The tomato has no you know, just no value to me beyond, oh, it's, I need a tomato. I want to put it in my sandwich. But now that I've actually grown tomatoes, sometimes successfully, sometimes not, when I actually, you know, get a tomato and harvest it, I'm so proud of that mm-hmm. tomato. And I think that, you know, it's really changed my perspective about how, how much we value convenience And yet I think that convenience also has its drawbacks because when something is so convenient, you don't value it very much. Whereas when something is very inconvenient, it takes kind of, it suddenly has all of this value because you've put all the sweat equity into this, this thing. You realize how difficult it is, how miraculous it is when you finally get one. And 
And I think that that's an important lesson as we're facing, you know, sort of so many challenges around nature that I think if more people can can feel the value of it by having a personal relationship with it, you know, via their own garden, you know, I think that that is really profound. Yeah, that's a perfect way of putting it. Tell me about what happened when you went to the nursery and asked for something that blooms all year round. Oh, yeah. Well, so, you know, I'm I'm a musician. And part of what is so exhausting about being, a, you know, an artist in this modern time with social media is that you you have this constant pressure on you to be creating, creating, creating. So, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, when, you know, I didn't have an outlet for my creations for creating anything. I didn't have an outlet to do concerts. I was just, yeah, obsessively going to the nursery. And I remember early on asking one of the workers at the nursery, can you show me what plants bloom year round? And the guy responded to me, well, nothing blooms year round. And that hit me so hard because it, it, it made me realize that it's actually totally unnatural to be productive year round. And, you know, here I was putting this unnatural pressure on myself to constantly be productive when in nature that that's not even how anything operates. And so, yeah, that was a really, a really profound moment for me. Tell me about your band. Tell me a little bit about how your band works and your and your music. Oh yeah, so my band is a uh, ten-piece jazz band, and we do stuff mostly mostly inspired by the swing music of the 1930s. Although we do a bunch of originals, so it's definitely it's definitely our, our own our own sound, but it's deeply inspired by jazz of the 1930s. And you know, and it's an interesting thing because you know so much of being in a band, especially a jazz band, is about being in sync with each other, but in this very kind of organic and spontaneous way. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely been taken with how, how much my garden kind of mimics that, where there is, you know, part of what I love about jazz music is that you, you can't control it. You can't, it's never the same anytime that you play it. You know, it's very ephemeral. And so each time you play a tune, it's going to sound different from the last time you played it. And and it's all of these different pieces that are working in harmony to create this kind of singular sound. And it's been really interesting to just, you know, watch watch in my garden how much how much there is that that element of everything being simultaneously its own individual it's its own individual plant, but then kind of working in mm. harmony as, as this, you know, this kind of bigger organism of the garden, you know, this bigger kind of ecosystem. And, and, and yeah, and also just how wild it is. And, and that's what I love about it too. You know, when I started coming to the garden, wanting it to kind of bend to my will, <laughs> I wanted to control it. But when I gave into accepting that I couldn't control it, then that's when really it started to be so fun. And, and that's really what I love about 
jazz music as well is it's just it's something that is you know you, you can't pre-plan it you have to just go with the flow and be present and be listening to everyone around you and and that's where the magic comes from so so yeah the band is really is really fun it, it's got a, just a very viscerally exciting sound to it you know just having a full horn section and rhythm section and so unusual to hear such a big band these days so it's, it's a really it's a really killer band Tell me the website so that people want to go listen, they can go listen. Yeah. So the website is www.lizzyandthetriggerman.com. That's L-I-Z-Z-Y-A-N-D-T-H-E-T-R-I-G-G-E-R-M-E-N.com. Perfect. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. Yeah. So... I love that you asked this question because, you know, as an artist, you're failing all the time. And mm-hmm. I love that. I love that you see the beauty in failure, the opportunity in failure. I have often found that failure in my life has opened a door to opportunity. So I, I've failed a lot, but the, the time that popped into my head the most was when I decided to stop singing. I had been training to be an opera singer and I was on track to have a professional singing career and then realized basically that I wasn't going to be able to play the uh, operatic roles that I I wanted to be able to play. My voice just was not, you know, big enough. I mean, opera, it's sort of like sports. You, you're, you're stuck playing the, the position that you're most suited for. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to sing these like dramatic soprano roles, but I just didn't have the right voice for it. So I stopped singing for a really, really, really long time and kind of gave up the idea that I ever would sing again. And and then about a decade passed. And wow. I know, I know, no, a really long time. And I say this because I feel like there's so much of an idea in our society that everything has to be linear. Like you have a career path and you sort of keep building on that career path and and if somehow you get off, then you've just massively messed yourself up. And I just here to say that that's totally not true. You can take 10 years off of something and then start up a 10 piece band just on a total, you know, lark kind of a dream. <laughs> and and then suddenly, you know, be headlining all these really cool venues. And I, I think that's important, important to realize that just things are not things are not as linear as I feel like there's the pressure that gets put, put on us tells us. Yeah. Wow. And what do you consider your biggest success? I just grew a zucchini, which I'm pretty proud of because I get powdery mildew, like something terrible on my zucchinis. So it's really hard for me to actually ever get a complete sort of mature one. So I'm very proud of that currently, but I would say that, yeah, probably my, my biggest success would be starting this band. I mean, I feel, you know, like I said, taking 10 years off of, uh, away from, from something. And then, you know, I, I had this idea to, to do this band almost like a field of dreams type vision. You know, mm-hmm. I got this, it's actually kind of a crazy story. I'll tell the abbreviated version, but I had stopped singing. I very depressed that I, you know, I really missed performing. I really missed singing, but I had no idea 
what to do with my voice because it, you know, I have kind of an old fashioned sounding voice. It didn't really fit in with the, the zeitgeist of popular music. Mm-hmm. So I got asked to sing at my friend's 1920s themed wedding. And I chose this kind of obscure song that's really beautiful called If You Want the Rainbow, You Must Have the Rain. And that ended up being a really poignant song because unfortunately it was pouring rain at her wedding. So anyway, but it was a very obscure song. And as I was singing it, I had that kind of field of dreams, light bulb over my head moment where I was like, this is the kind of music I want to be singing. This is what I want to do. I want to put together a band. I'm going to sing this music. And, you know, it was it was that really great inspiration moment where I had so much excitement. And then shortly thereafter was like, how the heck am I going to do that? I have no idea how to put mm-hmm. together a big band. And so a couple of days after the wedding, I had had a really rough day. And, you know, just one of those days where everything just seems like it's going wrong and just feeling mm-hmm. really down. I went to go splurge and take a cab back to Brooklyn, which was going to be an exorbitant cab ride, but I didn't care. I just wanted to get back to my sister's apartment. It'd just been a terrible day cab driver pulls over and he says, I'm so sorry, the Brooklyn Bridge is closed. I've never seen this happen, but you need to hop out and get on the subway. So I get on this subway car that I never was even supposed to get onto. Of course, this is only making my mood worse. And I'm seated next to this guy who's got sheet music on his lap, handwritten sheet music. And on the top of the sheet music, it says, if you want the rainbow, you must have the rain. What? Yeah, I know. And I looked over at him and I was like, excuse me, how do you know that song? And he looked at me because it's an obscure song. He looked at me and he was like, how do you know that song? And I was like, I'm a singer and I want to put together a band, but I don't know how to do it. And I just, you know, kind of spewing at him. And, and he, he looked at me and he was like, this is my stop, but here's my card. I don't know who you are, but I feel like I'm supposed to help you. Call me and I will help you. Wow. I know. I know. know. Yeah. Yeah. So it, so that was the origins of the band. And I think, you know, it's just, like I said, I think I'm, I'm most proud of how, you know, how hard it is to start something up after you've, Mm. you've left it alone for so long, you know, there's a, an, a kind of inertia that is really hard to fight against. And, so yeah, so that's how the band came to be. So so you called him. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, I totally blew him off. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, no, I called him and he ended up uh putting me in touch with musicians that um, you know, ultimately helped me form form the band. Nice. Love that. That that is one of those epic moments that I love hearing about on the podcast. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. What drives you? Yeah, I would say that what drives me most is connection. That's what I love about performing is mm. connecting with the audience. I love that live connection. There's that the kind of energy exchange that is just so powerful. And and then I also I feel very driven to try to, you know, leave the world a little bit better than I found it. I'm not really sure how to do that. That feels daunting, but it's at least what drives me. You know, I think... I think that um, there's a lot of, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, you know, in my garden, I've got beneficial insects and then I've got pests, you know, and I'm, I guess I'm trying to be a beneficial I- insect. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. You know, I'm not always 
perfect at that, but I'm, but I'm trying. Wow. I love your metaphors. They're so great. <laughs> if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Yeah. So I am obsessed with this book called Tending the Wild, and it's by M. Cat Anderson. And it's a fascinating book about basically the stewardship that the California Ind- Indians had of California for, you know, 12,000 years. Mm. And all the land practices, caretaking, and just the philosophy of how to live in harmony with nature and be stewards of nature. And that is something that I I feel very drawn to learn more about and try to be, you know, try to implement in my own small way. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? You know, I guess I would say that there's just always you know, hold on to hope that there's, there's always, there's always some sliver of hope that you can hold on to. And I, I, you know, what immediately popped into my head when you said that question is I love taking hikes and, you know, in LA, there's a bunch of wonderful canyons and such that you can hike. And I'm always really fascinated by those plants that are growing just kind of on the sides of the canyons in the most just awkward location ever, you know, I find those plants to be so, I don't know, like inspiring, I guess, mm-hmm. because, you know, they're sort of just making the best of where they landed. And, and I find that to be kind of a great, a great attitude to have. I try to, I try to, you know, kind of incorporate that in my own life, you know, just, you know, even if it feels like you're growing out of the side of a canyon and, it's really not an ideal situation, you know, <laughs> right? It's still totally possible. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Wow. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Lizzie. Oh my God. My pleasure. Just, I mean, you've, you've relieved, you know, my friends of having to listen to me talk about my garden for at least 24 hours. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> So where can we hear your music and how do we find you? Yeah, so our music is on all of the streaming platforms. And but also you can purchase our CD. I know that's kind of ancient technology, but it is still the best way to support artists. So our website is www.lizzieandthetriggermen.com. We're also on Facebook backslash Lizzie and the Triggermen. We're on Instagram at Lizzie and the Triggerman. And again, it's, it's all L-I-Z-Z-Y. And yeah, we're, we've got, you know, shows that are listed on our website. So we've been doing some touring. So hopefully you can come see us. We come to a city near you. Nice. I look forward to you being in Asheville. Me too. <laughs> you can also find show notes from today's podcast, including pictures of Lizzie's garden at urbanfarm.org forward slash Lizzie and the Triggermen. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago. 
then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit denalicanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.